You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our series, Be Set Free, a study of the book of Exodus. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Those of you who read the Bible on your phone, we lots of apps out there. We recommend using the YouVersion Bible app. We've got some live notes in there where you can follow along with the stuff on the screen. You can take notes, all that kind of stuff, interact. And if you need a Bible, if you don't have one, you'd like to follow along, we have some Bibles available for you. Just go ahead and put your hand up in the air and we'll make sure you get one so you can follow along in the study with us. So currently we're going through a study on Sunday mornings called Be Set Free in which we're studying through the book of Exodus, which is this epic story which shows us a vivid picture of how God saves. And in it we see a picture Not only do we see how God saved Israel at that time, but in it we see a picture of the salvation that God wants to bring and work in our lives as well. So we're going to begin this morning by reading our text, which comes from Exodus chapter 20. We'll begin in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth below, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, am the Lord, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain." Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And when the people, heard, when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for the Lord has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these commandments. And Lord, as we look into them, Lord, we pray that we would see them as your word calls them, the law which gives freedom. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us insight into these things in your word Enlighten our hearts that we might understand your word, and that we might apply it and put it into practice in our lives, Lord, and that it would bring about much joy and much good fruit and much freedom in our lives. So, Lord, we pray that as we hear your word, you would uh, let us receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have you ever noticed that there are a lot of things that, that people know, right? Like, like things that people just know, common knowledge, which doesn't actually turn out to be true. Like, let me give you some examples. Like, everybody knows that bats are blind, right? Well, actually, did you know bats are not blind? In fact, there is no species of bat that, 
that is blind. All bats can see. Some bats use echolocation because it's dark in caves and they don't want to bump into the walls. So they use the echolocation, but that doesn't mean they can't see. Uh, here's another one that everybody just knows, right? Everybody knows that Napoleon was short and he had kind of a small man complex and that's what drove him to do the things he did. Well, actually, Napoleon was five foot seven, which at the time that he lived was taller than the average Frenchman. So actually, Napoleon was taller than most of the people in that day. Here's another, another thing that people just know, right? If you drop a coin off the top of, an, off the, top of the Empire State Building, you're going to kill somebody, right? Like that thing is just going to drill right through their head and it's going to kill them. But it's actually not true. I mean, if you take the weight of the coin and you consider in wind resistance that it would naturally occur, even on a windless day, right, uh, it would not be enough to even break their skin. It'd probably just, you know, it'd kind of sting a little, but it certainly wouldn't kill anybody. Uh, here, here are a few others. Um, cracking your knuckles leads to arthritis. Everybody knows that, right? Actually, it doesn't. Uh, you know, the Great Wall of China can be seen from space. Not true, actually. Uh, here's another one. If you swallow gum, you know how long that takes to digest? Seven years. Also not true. I was always really worried about swallowing my gum, and now I'm not. Like, I'm just going to go do it all day long. So today, we come to a section of the Bible that is kind of like this, in this sense, right? Like, this is something that everybody's familiar with, everybody's heard about it, and everybody has kind of these notions about it and how it works and what it is, and that's the Ten Commandments. Right? Everybody's familiar with the Ten Commandments, but when it comes to uh, why they were given and how they apply to our lives today, there are a lot of incorrect assumptions that people have. In a recent poll, uh, 76% of people, now given this poll was taken in Texas, okay, but 76% of people said that they try to live according to the Ten Commandments. That's a lot of people saying they try to live according to the Ten Commandments. But when asked if they could name more than five of the commandments, only 14% of those same people could name more than five of the commandments, which they said they were trying to live according to. Now, you compare that with these same people were asked to name all three stooges. And 78% of those could name all three stooges. And even more impressive, 25% of those same people could name all seven ingredients that make up a Big Mac, right? But only 14 of them could name, 14% uh, could name five or more commandments. That's just to say, to make the point, the Ten Commandments are something that people generally tend to think that they know a lot about, but in reality, the, the facts show that many people don't really know as much about them as they think they do. So the title of today's message is The Law of Freedom. And here's what we're going to see. First of all, I want to show you one thing which the Ten Commandments were not given to do. And then I want to show you four things that the Ten Commandments were given to do. So, one thing the Ten Commandments were not given to do, four things that they were given to do. The first thing is, what were, what were the Ten Commandments not given to do? The first thing is this. The Ten Commandments were not given to save you or to make you right with God. All right, think about how this section begins. It begins by saying this. God spoke all these words. So that's how this begins. We, we looked at kind of the setting and the background for this last week, so I don't want to repeat all of that stuff, but I'll say this. The first thing you should know about the Ten Commandments is this. The Ten Commandments are actually only the first ten of 613 total commandments which make up what we call the law of God, sometimes referred to as the law of Moses. And that law is what will be given over the next couple chapters. But these first ten commandments are the only ones which were spoken audibly 
for the people to hear. Only these first ten were, were also later engraved on two tablets of stone as a memorial. And so these ten commandments amongst the 613 total commandments, these ten commandments are unique. And what makes them unique compared to the other 603 that follow them is that whereas those other 603 laws were specific to the nation of Israel as a society which was governed by God, these 10 commandments are the baseline moral law, moral requirements of God, and they are much more universal and much more timeless in their application. The 603 laws which come after this deal with societal issues such as labor and justice, inheritance, how to worship. And those laws do absolutely tell us a lot about God and about his character, who he is and what he loves and what he opposes. And those principles are timeless, but the Ten Commandments have a much broader application. They are the baseline moral code which is universal in its application. So what, what was the purpose of the Ten Commandments? What were they given to do? And, well, here's, first of all, what they were not given to do. They were not given to save you or to make you right with God based on your adherence to them or your obedience to them. So again, I, I was looking up statistics, right? So Pew Research Group did a poll, and they found that 72% of Americans believe that they are going to heaven. So 72% of Americans believe that they are going to heaven when they die, and over 50% of those people uh, say that you can get to heaven by being a good person and by following the Ten Commandments. Once again, this shows us that people are very familiar with the Ten Commandments, but they don't actually understand the Ten Commandments as well as they think they do. Uh, because notice what it says here in chapter 20, verse 2. He begins the section by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And I want you to notice the order. The order is very important to this story. First, God saved them. And then, after he saved them, then he gave them the law. Now, it would be very different if God gave them the law and said, okay, here's the rules, follow these, and then I'll save you if you keep them. So that order is very important. Now, look at the verb also here. Look at the verb, the action, and who did the action. God says, I brought you out. I carried you out. In other words, what did they contribute to their own deliverance? What did they contribute to their salvation? What was their part in it? Did they, did they crawl their way out? Did they run out? Did they fight their way out? No, not, not at all. They were carried out. God brought them out. In other words, what did they contribute to their own deliverance and salvation? Well, actually nothing. This is something that God did for them. God prefaces the Ten Commandments, in other words, by saying this, I have already chosen you. I've already placed my love on you. I have already saved you. And now I want you to obey me. Now, see, this is what distinguishes the Bible, the message of the Bible, the gospel, from every other religion in the world. Every other religion says this, if you obey, then God will accept you. If you obey, then God will bless you. If you obey, then God will save you. But you see, what the Bible says, what God says in the Bible is so much different than that. He says, I have saved you. I am blessing you. Right? I have accepted you. And now I want you to obey me. See, first God saved them, then God gives them the law. And what that means is this first point, that the purpose of the law cannot be to get you to heaven or to get God to love you or bless you or accept you. 
So then if the purpose of the law is not to get God to do these things, then what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? We got four points on this, right? So what were, we got four purposes that God gave the Ten Commandments for. Number one, the Ten Commandments were given to set us free. The Ten Commandments were given to set us free. Now, I think that's interesting. I think people don't generally think of the Ten Commandments as something that God gave in order to set us free, but it's absolutely the case. Think about this. God prefaces the Ten Commandments by saying, I am the God who sets you free. And then he says, now here's my law. And, and it's easy to look at that. You know, you couldn't blame someone for looking at that and saying, well, isn't that a little bit weird, right? Like, here's the law. I mean, isn't the law the opposite of freedom? So if the God's whole purpose is to set these people free, then why would he give them a law? And here's what I want you to see. That the law is not opposed to freedom. The Ten Commandments were given as part of God's ongoing work of setting these people free. God had already set them free in a moment, in the sense that they were slaves and now they're not. But see, it takes a process to get the slavery out of the person, right? And so God says, I'm giving you this law to help you to become and to live as a truly free people. In the New Testament book of James, I find this fascinating. James refers to the Ten Commandments as the law which gives freedom. That's what James calls the Ten Commandments, the law which gives freedom. Now you might ask, how does a law give you freedom? Well, the answer is actually this. Actually, all freedom is based on what we could call liberating constraints. Liberating constraints. Let me give you an example of what what this looks like. Imagine a, a man in his 60s, and his two favorite activities in life are eating, you know, rich, buttery foods and playing with his grandkids. But then he goes to the doctor for his annual checkup, and the doctor says, hey, look, I mean, things don't look good, and here's the deal. Unless you stop eating these foods, these foods which you love to eat, I mean, this is the two things that give you joy and purpose and meaning in life, is eating the foods you like and playing with your grandkids. Well, you're going to have to stop one of them. You're going to have to give up one of those freedoms, because either you're going to have to give up the freedom to eat whatever you want whenever you want, or you're going to have to give up the freedom to play with your grandchildren because you're going to die. And so what's he going to do? I mean, these are two things that he wants very much. I mean, these are two things that he loves, and they're in conflict with each other. If he continues enjoying his freedom to eat whatever he wants, he will lose the freedom to continue you know, watching his grandchildren grow up. See, this is the complexity of real life. We cannot have complete freedom in every area. In other words, what we have to do is we have to decide which freedoms to sacrifice in order to gain other freedoms. This man will have to decide which freedom is more important to him and which one he wants more. And more likely, of course, he'll choose to go on the diet and stop eating his favorite foods in order to gain the freedom to watch his grandkids grow up and be part of their lives. So in other words, his diet becomes a liberating constraint. It is a constraint, right? Like he's giving up some freedom. But why? He's giving it up because it frees him to do that which he really wants to do, which is most important to him. Think about this. If you want to have the freedom to buy whatever you want, whenever you want, and go wherever you want, whenever you want, well, that costs a lot of money, doesn't it? In order to make a lot of money, you have to, in order to have the freedom that comes with having a lot of money, well, you've got to give up other freedoms, right? Like while you're in school and getting your education, you give up freedoms in regard to your time and your money and and things like that. And when you work hard to make that money, you give up freedom in regard to certain things so that you can have other freedoms. There's always this question of which freedoms will we choose over other freedoms. Several years ago, I used to lead an outreach to 
uh, homeless people who lived in downtown Denver. And one of the things that I learned spending time with these people, you know, we would sit down and chat with them for hours. And one of the things that I learned meeting many of these people is that there's a great number of them who choose this lifestyle. I mean, the fact is that they know that if they don't want to be on the streets, that there are people who will help them get off the streets. A great number of them choose this lifestyle because they would always say, because it gives me freedom, right? They've got free time. Like a lot of people who work don't have free time, but they have all the time in the world. They don't have any responsibilities. They don't have any bills to pay. They don't have anybody, you know, telling them they need to do anything. And in that sense, they say, I'm free. But here's the thing. In order to get that freedom, they have to give up many other freedoms, right? So there are places they can't go. There are, places, there are things that they just can't do. They're, they're totally dependent on other people to take care of them. And that's not really freedom when you're totally dependent on other people to take care of you. So while they are free in some ways, they're not free in other ways. And the same goes for a person who has a job, right? It, to have a job is to give up freedom in certain things in order to gain freedom in other things. In other words, the reality of life is this. There are a lot of freedoms out there, but you can't have them all, and so you have to choose. And the question we always have to ask is this. Which freedoms are most important and which constraints are most liberating? Some freedoms hurt us rather than help us, right? So some freedoms hurt us rather than help us. Some freedoms actually crush us and even abuse us and ultimately take away our freedom. Uh, there's a band I used to listen to, and they had a song. Some of you will probably recognize it. But here's how the chorus of the song went. It's a master of, master of puppets. I'm pulling your strings. I'm twisting your mind. I'm smashing your dreams. Blinded by me, you can't see a thing. Just call my name, and I'll hear you scream, Master. What, what's that song about? Well, the lead singer, I found an interview with him. He was doing an um, interview with uh, one of these music magazines. And in the interview, he said, well, what's the song about? The song's obviously about addiction. It's about drugs. And, and how with addiction, what happens is you start out thinking that you're in control of what you're doing and what you're taking, but it flips on you. And before you realize it, it's controlling you. And, and the same point is this. Some freedoms hurt us rather than help us. Some freedoms actually take away our freedom. Some freedoms actually enslave us. And so in order to be truly free, we need the right constraints. Here's the thing. Everybody's living for something, right? Whether it's your career, whether it's your family, or even if it's just your own independence. Everybody's living for something. And whatever it is that you are living for, that thing has a degree of mastery over you. A writer named David Wallace uh, put it this way. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only question is, what will you worship? And unless you worship God, anything else that you worship will eat you alive. And he goes on to give some examples. He says, if you worship money and things, you will always feel that you do not have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and allure, You will always feel ugly, and time and age, when they begin to start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. If you worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will always need more power over others in order to keep the fear at bay. If you worship your intellect and being seen as as smart and intelligent, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out. In other words, whatever is most important in your life, whatever gives you meaning and purpose, 
is your master, and you will do anything to get it. And if you lose it, you lose the very will to live. In other words, here's the point. Unless God is your master, you will be a slave to whatever you're living for. So that's why when God said to Moses, you remember he sends him to Pharaoh earlier in the book, and he sends him with this message. You remember what the message was? He said, let my people go, right? Well, not really, right? That's what Charlton Heston said in the movie, but that's 10 times in the Bible. Moses says this phrase, let my people go, but he doesn't leave it there. 10 times, he never says, just let my people go. He always says, let my people go so they can serve me. And what he's saying is they've been serving you, but God wants them to serve him instead. In other words, there's a distinction being made between serving God and serving anything else because if you're serving anything else other than God, you're not really free. The Ten Commandments can be broken down into two groups. The first four commandments are about how we relate to God and the the latter six commandments are about how we relate to each other. So the first commandment is this, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, there should be nothing else that comes before him in your life. The second commandment is similar, but a little bit different. It says, you shall make no idols and worship them. And of course, in their day, uh, this was something that people did, literally built idols out of wood or stone or metal. Uh, In our day, it seems very archaic, like we don't usually see people bowing down in front of statues. Uh, Until you consider what the idols of the ancient world actually represented. Let me give you some examples. There was the god Baal. Baal was the god of power. There was Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth was the goddess of sensuality. Uh, Mammon was the god of money. Molech was the god of success. Now, now think about this. Is there anybody out there today who worships power and sensuality? Or, or is there anybody who worships money and success? Absolutely, which means that even though we don't necessarily build the same kind of statues to them, we, we still have the same problems in our hearts, right? It's been said this way, an idol is a spiritual addiction. An idol is a spiritual addiction to something other than God. And so the second commandment is extremely relevant to us today, right? Like the, the reason God gave these commandments was because when you make anything other than God the ultimate pursuit of your life, before you know it, that thing ends up enslaving you and it will wreck you. And so the only way to be truly free is to have no other gods before him. The only way to be truly free is to make nothing into an idol that you worship. So when I was growing up, my grandparents lived in Oregon. lived in southern Oregon, and my grandfather had a ranch. And so I would go out and spend a couple weeks with him every summer on the ranch. I remember I was there one time, and in the house, he had this big fireplace right in the middle of the living room. And so I was in the house one day, and I heard something moving around in the fireplace. And I, I was really scared, right? Like, what's going on? Is it a rat? Because I'm very scared of rats, actually. So anyway, I thought it was, uh, was going to be like a, a rat or something in this. So I looked in his glass doors on the fireplace. I looked in. I see it's a bird. So this bird had flown down the chimney and gotten stuck in the fireplace. And, you know, I didn't want to touch it because this bird was freaking out and, you know, frantic and just going to peck me to death or something. So anyway, I got my grandfather, and of course my grandfather was a big animal lover. He had this ranch, and he cared a lot about animals. And so he said, well, we can't just leave him in there to suffer. I mean, he's suffering in there. We, we can't just leave him. He felt compassion for this bird. He said, this bird is hurting himself. He's stuck in there, and, and he doesn't even realize that he's not free. I mean, he thinks he's doing whatever he wants, but he's hurting himself. And so my grandfather opened up the glass doors in the front of this fireplace, and he reached in 
with these big hands, and he grabbed this bird and wrapped his hands around it, and then he took it out through the house, and he took it outside and set it free. Now, how do you think this bird reacted when he saw my grandfather coming towards him? He's freaking out, of course, right? Like when he, those fingers wrapped around him and constrained him. Of course, the, the bird was resisting and fighting back and freaking out. The bird was thinking, oh no, this is bad. I'm losing my freedom. But in reality, my grandfather put his hands around that bird only because he had compassion on it and he wanted to set it free because he saw that it was trapped and that it was hurting itself and it was suffering. And because of loving concern for this bird, my grandfather closed his hands around it so that he can set it free. And you see, that's a picture of what God does for us. This is the law that sets us free. And he says, he, he says uh, you know, you're, you're not really free. You're hurting yourself. He says, I'm going to I'm going to come and get you and I'm going to wrap my hands around you and I'm going to say, come with me, I'm going to set you free. And so that's the first reason the Ten Commandments were given was to set us free. The second reason the Ten Commandments were given was to provide fuel for relationship, to provide fuel for relationship. The setting of the Ten Commandments is found in what we studied last week, which is chapter 19, where he saw him come to the base of this mountain where Moses had met with God in the burning bush, and God speaks to Moses and says, I want to enter into a covenant with the people. I want to enter into a relationship with you, which would be characterized by love and and promises of faithfulness. The only thing that it can be compared to is a marriage. And then he comes and he gives them the Ten Commandments, and the other laws, and he says, these are the terms of the covenant, kind of like wedding vows. And in chapter 19, God said, okay, here are my vows. Here's what I'm going to do. And here we have in these commandments the vows that basically Israel is making to God. And so these commandments are the terms of the covenant that the people are entering into with God. But here's the thing. The Bible in the New Testament, it tells us that we who are believers in Jesus We have a new covenant and a better covenant. It literally says we have a better covenant than this covenant that they had at that time. So a covenant, we now have a covenant with God in which God offers us redemption and forgiveness and new life. He makes us new from the inside out because of what Jesus did for us. And so then the question might be, well, if we have a new and better covenant, then why are we even spending our time talking about this old covenant? why, Why should we even care about the Ten Commandments? And here's why. Because the Ten Commandments give us fuel for relationship with God. Now think about this. When you're falling in love with someone, what do you do? You take the initiative to find out everything you can about them. You want to know about the things that they like. You want to know about the things that they dislike so that you can do the things that they like. Why? Are you trying to manipulate them? No. If, it, if love is genuine, then what it's looking for is looking, what does this person love? What does this person hate? So that I can do things that they love, so that I can bring them joy because I find my happiness in their happiness. I, it brings me pleasure to bring them pleasure, to make them happy. And so here what we have in the Ten Commandments is fuel for our relationship with God. The Ten Commandments reveal God's nature to us. It tells us this is what God loves These are the things that God does not love. And our obedience to the Ten Commandments, when we understand the gospel, it isn't about earning love, earning blessing, earning salvation by keeping them, because in Jesus we already have all those things. Rather, now we come to the Ten Commandments as fuel for relationship, as the ways that we can express our love to God in, in a way that we can bring joy to Him, because that brings joy to us. The third reason the Ten Commandments were given. The Ten Commandments were given to bless us. They were given to bless us. Do you know that? 
This law that begins here with the Ten Commandments, it forms an entire social order for the, for the people of Israel, which if they were to put it in place, it would create the one true good society, right? Like a truly just, a truly fair, a truly godly society. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, again, Deuteronomy is the end of Moses' life. It's a speech that he gives right before he walks off into the sunset and dies. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses says this. He says, what nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as this law that I set before you today? In other words, God's, God's plan was this. If you will live according to these laws, if you will live in this way, if you will put these things into practice, you will have a society that is so amazing. It will be more amazing than any other society in the world. I want you to think about this. How much better would our society be if people actually kept even just one of the commandments, right? Not not even all 10, just one. And you can pick any one. Like just grab one out of there and stick it in. You shall not murder. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a society where there was no murder, where there was no hatred? I mean, that would be amazing. You shall not steal. Imagine a society where you didn't have to worry about locking your doors, where you didn't have to worry about security systems and people ripping you off all the time. Honor your father and mother. Do not bear false witness, lying, slandering, deceiving. Think about this. Just grab any one commandment, stick it in there and say, how much, what, how much different would it be if even people just kept one commandment? Now, think about, okay, life would be so much better if people would even just keep one of the commandments. Now think about how much it would be better if people kept all of the commandments. It would be a, a wonderful improvement. And you can understand what I mean when I say that the Ten Commandments were given to be a blessing, not a burden. James says that the entirety of that verse, James 1.25, he says this, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. And here's what we need to understand. All of God's commandments are about aligning us with who he made us to be. And they are for our joy and for his glory. So his commandments are about aligning us with who he made us to be. You know, a hammer is really great at pounding nails, but really bad at washing windows, right? Like a hammer is super good at pounding things, but super bad at giving scalp massages, right? And so the point is this. When something betrays its design, usually the outcome is very bad. But when we submit to our design and function in the way that we were made to function, we have much more joy. And so that's what God's commandments are about, aligning us with who he made us to be and how he made us to live. And if we submit to that design, we will experience so much more joy and we will bring him much more glory. The fourth commandment is a great example of this, right? So the fourth commandment is honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, it's a perfect example of how the Ten Commandments were given by God to be a blessing Over time, over the years, many people have instead interpreted it as a burden. Okay, so imagine if you were a Jewish person at this time. For years, you've been a slave in Egypt. You've never had a day off in your life, right? You work seven days a week, 365 days a year. And on leap year, you work 366 days a year, right? No days off. How do you think that you would have felt when God was speaking the fourth commandment? Right, So God comes and he's thundering from this mountain. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Don't make any idols and worship them. Do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. And we know from the end of the chapter that people are trembling, right? They're like freaking out. They're like, oh, this is scary. And what he's saying, I don't know if we can do this. And then comes the next commandment. And I want you to take a day off once a week. The people have been like, well, actually, I mean, that one, those other ones are kind of hard, but that one's really nice, right? Like I've never had one of those before. What am I supposed to do with this day off, as you call it, right? Well, and God says, well, it's a time for you to worship. It's a time for you to rest and recharge your batteries, both physically and spiritually. You know, another thing that we tend to miss about the Sabbath day is this. These people, the majority of these people, in fact, the majority of people in the world, throughout the history of the world, have been farmers and ranchers. They've worked in agrarian societies and jobs. And so especially at certain times of the year, like harvest or, or you know, certain times with the animals when, uh, when it's time to kill the animals or, uh, you know, work on the farm and the ranch, there, there's so much work to do that you could easily work all day, every day, and never take a break. And so God's commanding them, take a day off. Like, even if there's more work to be done, take a day off because it will be good for you, both physically and spiritually. In other words, the Sabbath was never meant to be a burden that people had to, oh man, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? This is hard. No, it was meant to be a blessing. And, and in the New Testament, there's something interesting about this Commandments, interesting, because this is one that a lot of people get hung up on. Wow, this seems weird, right? This one about taking a day off, right? In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, we read that some of the early Christians who came from a Jewish background, they were curious, like, how does this work now that we're Christians? Do we still have to observe the Sabbath? Like, is now Sunday? Is that the, now the Christian Sabbath? Or, or should we still observe the Jewish Sabbath on Saturday? And here's what the writer to Hebrews says in chapter 4 of Hebrews. You can read more about it if you're interested. But he says, because the Sabbath isn't actually about a particular day of the week. The Sabbath is about, you know what it's about? It's about Jesus. The Sabbath is all about Jesus. And he says, Jesus is the true and ultimate Sabbath rest. He gives us rest in our souls from our labor of trying to justify ourselves and work our way to God. Because of what he did on the cross, he gives us rest. And so to really observe the Sabbath day is to embrace the gospel and find rest in your soul and the knowledge that God has accepted you and he has saved you in Jesus. That's what the Sabbath's really about. So the principle, though, is this. God gives us the Ten Commandments to be a blessing. And it is a wise thing to take a day off for rest and worship. And we see the same principle that the Ten Commandments were given to be a blessing. We see it in the Fifth Commandment, right? Honor your father and mother. It's the only commandment that comes with a promise. And the promise is so that you will have a long and good life. I assume that's kind of what I tell my kids, right? Like, honor me or you're going to have a really short and terrible life, right? So the opposite of that is honor your father and mother and you'll have a long and great life, right? Again, the point being, God's commandments are about what? They're about aligning us with who he made us to be for his glory, but also, and we can't miss this, for our joy. But here's the fourth reason that, Jesus, that the uh, Ten Commandments were given. The Ten Commandments were given to lead us to Jesus. And of all the reasons why the Ten Commandments were given, this is by far the most important. The Ten Commandments were given to show us how desperately we need a Savior, right? The Ten Commandments are a mirror, not a door. The Ten Commandments are a teacher, not a Savior. Because, you know, the common tendency, uh, not just in our modern society, but I think throughout history, the common tendency amongst humanity is to say, you know, I'm a pretty good person because I know these other people and they're totally worse than I am, right? Like, you know, I don't do drugs and I don't like 
live in a dumpster and I don't cheat on my spouse and I, I'm not in a gang, for example, right? And you say, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I have a job. I went to college. I take care of my family. I don't think I need to repent of my sins and, and receive Jesus as my Savior. I mean, I think me and God are pretty cool because I'm a decent person. And I think that's all that matters, right? And there's no reason why, if there is heaven, why he wouldn't let me in. And then God says, okay. I mean, that's what people have been saying for a really long time. And so God gives the Ten Commandments. He says, check out the Ten Commandments. You know what Paul the Apostle says? Paul the Apostle, you know, uber-religious type A person. Paul the Apostle says, I would not have known that coveting was a sin unless the Ten Commandments told me that coveting was a sin. Paul says, you know, I I thought I was a really good person. I was very religious. But then here's the thing. I came to the Ten Commandments and I realized that I had been doing something that I didn't even realize was a sin. Like I thought it was just fine. I mean, I've been kind of jealous of other people and wanting what they had for myself. Turns out that's a sin. It's against one of the Ten Commandments. And it's only when I came to realize that when I, the only time I came to realize that was when I read the Ten Commandments. And here's what he says in that same chapter. He says, and they slayed me. He says, I came to the law. I realized I was a sinner. And it slayed me. Basically, it showed me that I wasn't actually as good of a person as I thought I was. And, and that, Paul goes on to say, that is what led me to the realization that I desperately need a Savior, that I can't do this on my own. In the book of James, James says this, whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point, has become guilty of all of it. In other words, how many laws do you have to break to be a lawbreaker? One. And so you can go down the list. Have you kept all of the commandments perfectly all of the time? Have you never missed the mark? Of course, none of us. Everybody. Everybody's missed the mark. And that is the point. That is the exact point. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, it says the purpose of the law, the law was given to show people that they've missed the mark, that they've fallen short, that they've sinned, so that they wouldn't trust in themselves and so that they would turn to God and embrace the Savior who he's given, who is Jesus. I mean, think about this. If I was to show up at your house tomorrow, knock on the door, like 5 p.m., right? And I say, hey, I'm here to save you. Let's go. And you would say, uh, well, that's nice of you, Nick. You know, you pat me on the head and say, thanks for showing up and all. But we're just fine. In fact, you know, this is kind of not a convenient time for us. We've got some other stuff going on. So we'll just see you later, okay? And you, you st- thanks for stopping by. And you kind of shoo me away. Now, now, though, if I showed up on your doorstep and I said, hey, I'm here to save you. And you said, well, we don't, sorry, we don't need any saving today. And I said, well, actually, your basement's on fire. Your house is about to collapse. And by the way, your house sits on a big sinkhole and it's about to just swallow you all up. And by the way, your house is also full of carbon monoxide. I have a carbon monoxide detector. And your house is full of, plea, uh, full of fleas that carry the bubonic plague and you're all going to die, right? What would you say? You'd say, all right, let's go right now, kids, wife, uh, you know, husband, let's go. We're getting in your car and going wherever you want to take us. See, it's only when you understand why you need a Savior that the Savior becomes good news. And so that's why God gave us the Ten Commandments, to show us what we might not otherwise see, how desperately we need a Savior. And so the good news is this. The Savior has come. His name was Jesus. He's the only person who ever kept all of the Ten Commandments and law perfectly. But not only did he live the life that we should have lived, he also died the death that you should have died. He took your place in judgment on the cross so that you might take his place in life. In the following chapters, what we're going to see in this law is this. That God knew that they weren't going to be able to do these things. And so you know what he did? He created a provision. If they ever broke the law, the penalty was death. But 
there could be a substitute. There could be somebody who came in and takes your place and takes that punishment for you so that you could live because they die, because that innocent creature dies in your place, usually a lamb. And when Jesus came, that's exactly what he did. He took your place. He paid the penalty so that you could live. And this is the promise of the gospel, that if you will embrace what Jesus did for you, you can be forgiven, you can have everlasting life, and you can have a relationship with God. In other words, through him, through Jesus, you can be truly set free. So I want to encourage you to embrace that good news today. I want to encourage you to live in light of it with so much freedom in your heart, serving and obeying God with a sense of joy because of what he's done for you. Amen? Would you please stand with me? And we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for this law which gives freedom. We thank you, Lord, for that. And we also thank you, Lord, we have in Jesus a new and better covenant. But thank you that we have these laws, these laws to set us free, these laws which come to give us fuel for relationship. And Lord, may they always have their purpose of pointing us to Jesus. And so I want to pray for anybody here today who has not yet put down their yes and said, yes, I'm all in. I I want to receive Jesus as my Savior I recognize even what Paul the Apostle said. I need a Savior, and I thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Lord, I I pray that all of us would embrace that message in our hearts today as we go from here, and that it would absolutely affect the way that we live in the days that follow. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in northern Colorado from our series, Be Set Free, a study of the book of Exodus. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.